EMS One Academy, a training solution designed for EMS chiefs, offers more than 200 courses and 250 hours of continuing education. Our modern learning solution includes flexible reporting capabilities and features to upload agency-specific courses and track credentials for recertification. Easily streamline daily administrative workflow with EMS One Academy. Start your free trial. Visit www.emsoneacademy.com slash insideems. Well, it's that time of the week, everyone, to go inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Sotolaro, and my co-host, the man to my right, my good friend, Kelly Grayson. KG, what's going on up in your end of the world? I'm saving lives, stamping out disease and pestilence, and, and teaching an EMT instructor class this week. Well, how about that, man? You go, girl. So, um, I just want you to know. from that and head to, to Alaska to, uh, for some me time. Oh, that's going to be good, man. What, are you going to be gone for a week? Well, have a good time there, and uh, bring me something back. And uh, I'll bring you back some halibut. That'd be nice. I love halibut, especially from the Pacific Northwest. It's uh, it, and that's really where you get the best halibut is up there in the Seattle and uh, Alaska area. But I gotta, I gotta give you a little bit of props. So I was How's actually that, talking to my cousin, and he's out there in uh, Seattle. He lives in Seattle as well, and uh, he, you know, posted on Facebook, you know, Happy Father's Day, and. Uh, so his brother got on and said, y'all have a good day as well. And there was like seven of us on the post. I said, wait a minute. I said, y'all is sing- singular. <laughs> All y'all is plural. So, I mean, I, I was a little bit smart, but he was like, you spend too much time in the South. I said, no, actually, I just have a, like a Southern friend who likes to correct me all the time. That's right, man. We, we, we don't use much grammar. Uh, but when we do, we, we like it to be convoluted and incomprehensible to anyone outside of the South. That's right, man. But my favorite one is, bless our heart. Yeah, bless your heart. Right. You tried. That's right. That's right. So we have a good show, Kelly. I'm going to give it to you and let you set it up and uh, introduce uh, our guest. That's right. We, uh, we, we have with us Catherine Counts. Uh, Catherine's been a guest on our podcast before, and she's currently a health services researcher with Seattle Medic One in uh, the Division of Emergency Medicine at uh, UW School of Medicine. Uh, she got her training from Tulane uh, right here in Louisiana, and uh, she's got a new article on one of our sister uh, website, uh, policeone.com, about how integration of public health and public safety data makes sense and it, it shows an interesting overlap in some of our frequent flyers between public safety and and public health and ems Catherine, why don't you tell us about uh the uh the research hey guys thanks for having me on y'all's podcast today <laughs> i thought it was all y'all's all I, don't, I don't uh-uh i don't do all y'all I see. She's she that New Orleans man. Oh, New I see. Orleans. Okay, it's different. It's, it's okay. Texan slash New Orleanian in me. So, yeah. um, I was really excited about this this publication. It came from Camden Coalition, and if mm. you remember a few years ago when you, when the word hot spotters started getting real popular, oh, yeah. that was because Tool Gawande wrote an article about a group in Camden that had taken their emergency department data and identified these two kind of old folks homes of sorts that were the source of all of their emergency department kind of admissions and patients. And they called them hotspots and said, Hey, these people keep using all our resources and they're in these two locations. Let's try to do something about that. And so that group, once again, as usual, is kind of pushing the envelope and they, for what I'm 
what I'm recognizing is probably one of the first times to kind of on a national level publication wise is to show the overlap between hospital level ED visit with police arrest data. Hmm. Which, so cool is the right word, but from like a research wonky perspective, it was really exciting to see what they figured out. I, no, I, I was going to say, I would imagine there's, there's quite a bit of overlap in some of our, uh, how should we say it, uh, valued repeat customers between the emergency department and, uh, and EMS and, and uh, those encountered by law enforcement. Well, yeah, if you can imagine as um, valued repeat customers, that's a good one, uh, <laughs> a certain subset of population that we take care of may have more than just a medical illness that requires EMS services. Uh, and that is exactly what this report pointed out. And so the, the coolest thing that they did was they looked at the the high utilizers, the super utilizers, the top 5% on both emergency department visits and police arrests, and only those patients that kind of cross those two areas. And there were only like 200 something patients, but they made up a total of 3,700 arrests. Wow, that's interesting. You know, Catherine, one of the things that I found interesting about your article was that one, there was no misspellings. So I thought that was pretty cool. But you know, well, you, you really thank God for Nancy Perry. I know one that edits those. So I really, but I, you outlined really kind of three points within this uh, article, and you guys, you know, we'll put it up in the show notes so you guys can check it out. But number three was super users uh, of both systems share unique characteristics. Can you touch on that for us? Yeah, so I think that's what I was hinting at, but thank you for getting back to my article because sometimes a girl just needs some help. Uh, so they recognize this idea of these really super high utilizers have certain categories that they fall into. And I mean, we know this in EMS. It's like, oh, this guy fits in this bucket. And I keep seeing similar guys or gals that fit in this bucket. And that's exactly what they realized with this data is that there were four categories, so to say, of overlap with this population of apparently 226 individuals. These individuals fall into like these four distinct categories, but all, almost all four of them share this, this thing that probably shouldn't surprise us, although I think I found it initially surprising, is they're, they're pretty nonviolent, there's a pretty high mm -hmm. degree of drug use, and there's a pretty high degree of mental health issues. Yeah. And there's different combinations of those three things. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, that's this population. You know, and what's interesting is Kelly Grayson has two of those characteristics. <laughs> um, I, you know, Nancy and I were, were chatting about this on the, the drive over. And, and that was the two, uh, the two things that, that struck me as, as being or the, the two types of patients we see most often, uh, both law enforcement and, and EMS, is drug and alcohol use and the mentally ill. Um, and there's a, there's a great deal of overlap right there, and, and maybe one feeds the other. But right. Nancy had the point that is that uh, you know economically, uh, the, they all tend to be the the ones that utilize our services uh, the most tend to be the the disenfranchised of society, uh, lower end of the the economic uh, ladder, and and uh, and and a lot of other things going on. What surprised me was uh, the prevalence of the nonviolent offenders. I thought there would be a, a higher percentage of those in there was yeah there was really only one of the four groups that had violent offenses mm -hmm. and they were they were really they were linked to drugs but everybody else it was somebody else was violent to them first or completely no history of violence whatsoever just some petty theft for drugs and then also the mental health issues 
You know, what's interesting now is that as you've gathered this data, how does it, how do we use it? I mean, what, what does it really mean? I mean, we kind of knew this though, didn't we? We knew our frequent flyers who were taking, uh, you know, who were going by EMS. We know that these people were getting arrested. You know, sometimes they were getting arrested after they arrived at the hospital. But now that we know this, Catherine, what's the importance to EMS? I mean, how do we use this data to do what with it? So I think that's the great thing about research is sometimes it seems it seems like a dumb moment where people like me in the ivory tower of academia publish this report that says, hey, this is what's happening in the real world. And the real world just looks at us and goes, uh, yeah, we've known that for 20 years. <laughs> but until there's some kind of quote unquote academic publication behind it and not just a blog post or rant on Facebook, then the funders behind the revenue that's right. going to pay to change the and try to fix the problem, they aren't going to move. And so I think what this report does by saying, recognizing that these two disparate silos of data can actually provide a valuable information stream, it shows that people that are trying to combine those data sources, there's value there. There's value added because it takes money, it takes human labor to combine data, and it takes energy where it's not immediately obvious that you're gonna have some, some producible product on the on the back end. And right. so this provides that opportunity where a public health person like me can be like, yeah, no, we want to combine this information. We want to hear from police. We want to hear from EMS. We want to hear from fire to tell the whole story of this issue that our community is experiencing. Yeah, and that's exactly what I wanted you to get to because you, we know a lot of things, but there's no proof that we know a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And now as we start to put these things together and know that, hey, you know, our frequent flyers may be having trouble with the law there may be the opportunity for funding for people to say, well, let's study it more or let's get some words right out of my mouth. Exactly. Because when we think about these patients, two of the biggest issues, you know, and we go back to this whole community paramedicine transition, you know, I've been saying for a long time, but no, no two, you know, there's like 200 some odd community paramedic programs in the United States and no two are alike. I've got to back up on that because we're starting to see two of the, of these major things in your report of, you know, folks that have mental health issues and folks that have drug and alcohol problems, and there's just no resources to help these folks. So either they're going to the emergency room or they're getting arrested, and we've got to find a better solution. Um, how many how many times have you actually seen that posed as, as the only option uh, by police? Go to the hospital with them or go to jail with me. But it's actually, um, and we're taking them to the hospital when they don't have a medical complaint. Exactly. Exactly. I, I would, you know, it struck me that this is this opens up really ripe territory for collaboration, um, because what uh, to to steal a phrase from Nancy, a uh, rising tide lifts all boats. If we can, if we can address the crime problem, uh, um, then then that's going to ease the burden on EMS as well, um, and not by incarcerating these people, but but by uh, eliminating their the necessity or, or the incidence of their interaction with the with uh, law enforcement you know education um, mental health care uh, uh, addressing the the economic uh, disparities that, that contribute to crime all of those things are not only going to cut down crime they're also going to cut down on the EMS workload as well so you know when, when looking at that that's you know another uh, ripe area for for data that we can mine to, to kind of help and and work with our, our brothers in blue across the aisle. And I, and Kelly, I think that's a really important point is this idea of 
as, as we kind of, as an industry, as EMS, we recognize community paramedicine has some role to play, whatever it happens to be, all mm-hmm. 200 plus versions. The police side of the aisle is also recognizing that they aren't just there to bust drug drug dealers and fight crime, that sometimes the most important thing that they're doing is providing some level of infrastructure and connectivity to EMS or social work because they're on the streets Policing. just like we are. Oh, totally. They they know the system just as well as we do. They know these 228 people that are routinely in and out of various programs, kind of never having stability, using a ton of resources that if, if those weren't getting used because that person had a stable environment, then maybe the police could focus on something else. Yeah, I think that brings up a really good point. You know, one of the things that I was thinking as I read this, uh, first off, that there were no mistakes. Did I say that already? No mistakes? Yeah. But anyway. But but the other thing, Catherine, is how did you how did you really kind of get on this topic? What was the catalyst for you putting your efforts into this uh, specific topic? I was, I was curious about that. Um, well... I'm interested in community paramedicine because I am a student of public health. And I was actually forwarded this article by Nancy Perry, the editor-in-chief of Police One. And she asked me if I thought it would be a good research analysis article or maybe she told me it would be a good research analysis article. And I you know, vehemently agreed because if Nancy Perry has an idea, it's typically a good idea. That's right. <laughs> um, but it's important to – like public health is this idea where it's systems thinking. It's not just one silo of – humanity can fix all of humanity's problems that maybe if we all work together as a team we can individually lift those people up that need the most help but it it can't just be done by one entity or rarely can it be done by one one entity so how do we now you know let's think about this together all three of us i mean we're, we're relatively smart people and i'm talking about you and me Catherine. but we're relatively smart with 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 Catherine here that's right yeah up to about 140 about 141 yeah so i was gonna say <laughs> uh excuse me but you know that's only because kelly and i are 30 <laughs> apiece I'm, that's I'm right a, yeah I'm a half, and, and Chris That's is a right. half. So from, from an EMS side, from an EMS leadership side, from an academia research side, how do we now take this information and make a difference to the populations that we serve? Or how do we now integrate with our police partners? And, and even, to be honest with you, our, our first response, our fire partners as well needs to be part of this discussion. But what's the answer here? What do we do with all this information? And how do we now start the conversations to say, this is what we got to do? Well, I mean, I think it's you, you got to start by making those connections. We all have know somebody on the other side of the aisle. And maybe you just know them casually because occasionally there's an issue and you have to get a point of contact and you take care of it. But maybe this becomes that opportunity for some proactive collaboration. Uh, we recognize that there's probably we have a similar population in our community that could benefit from this type of constructive, integrated data identification solution, so to say. And tag teaming with them. And there's got to be, there's going to be that data wonk in your department that could, could help you merge person A in EMS and fire with person A in the police department or person A in the ED and getting all those people at the same table. This is not a small undertaking. Uh, but once you, once you take it on, I could see it truly benefiting your understanding of your, your provisional 
needs and of right. your community that you're serving beyond just what your EMS data and call volumes look like. Yeah, well, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said proactive, collaborative solutions. You know, too much of what we do in EMS is, is reactive uh, and likewise for law enforcement. Uh, and, and relatively little of our efforts uh, is, is directed toward prevention. Uh, and, and, you know, where we started to realize uh, the benefits of, of uh, community paramedicine in prevention and monitoring uh, our patient's health, uh, um, the police, community policing is, is, is following the same model. Um, one quote from the article really stands out to me, and it's, uh, they ask, have we chosen a seemingly quick fix where we repeatedly funnel people who need treatment into our jails and hospitals over solutions that foster the long-term safety and well-being of the communities? In other words, we're not preventing these people from decompensating uh, or from uh, or committing crimes or whatever it is that lands them in the emergency department or jail. Uh, we just, we're reacting to, to whatever happens. Uh, and the first step in prevention is going to be identifying those those target populations. Uh, I think that's where this really has this really shows some some potential here uh, for other EMS and, and law enforcement systems to collaborate, kind of following uh, Camden Arise's model. Yeah, and, and Catherine, one of the things that you did, you know, Kelly talked about a quote from the article, but you kind of added towards the end of this, which I thought was really cool was memorable quotes about the Camden Arise program. And you listed five quotes there that really kind of summarized it. Now, as you sit back with your experience in, in research, what was it that really struck you the most that said, wow, this really hits the, uh, this really hits the mark? So I think it's that last quote. It's, in the end, the most important finding from this study may be that there is enormous value in fostering collaborative data sharing among agencies. And, and data sharing is scary because it implies that you trust. And sure, you can write a data sharing agreement and sign some paperwork. But at the end of the day, it means that I, as one entity, trust that you as the other entity aren't going to do bad, unethical, horrible things that might portray me in the wrong light or misinterpret yeah. what my data says. And that's, that's a really hard pill to swallow, especially among entities that maybe don't completely understand their own data to begin with. And that's why I think the, the, the other thing that I'm really impressed by this is, of course, that it's from the Harvard Kennedy School. And this idea of pulling in these academics, I'm a little biased there, don't take that the wrong way, <laughs> but sometimes the ivory tower can provide that infrastructure for data management and data interpretation that maybe your, your standard EMS agency doesn't have the capacity to do. Academia is always looking for that new, fresh opportunity to do research and that untouched, low-hanging fruit, quote-unquote, data. And EMS is the epitome of that. And police, too, realistically, public safety across the board, with maybe the exception of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, is super underutilized in the academic space. And so if you have that academic institution and you have a public health program or criminal justice or some kind of entity that might fall under police fire EMS where someone might be interested, even just reaching out to them and saying, hey, would you be interested in collaborating? I think we might have something that we could share where we could both benefit. And I think that one of the things that you just said was really important because we're, we're touching on, 
you know, police, fire, and EMS, but you mentioned public health, and that's something in, in EMS and really from the public safety realm, we don't engage with public health enough. No. And this is really a public health issue that we should ner- we should learn the resources that maybe they have available that we can bring them into this argument to say, what do you have that we can help this you know help this situation with? You know, and yet another yet another um, example of, of how EMS is maturing and kind of broadening beyond our, our original mission uh, into something, you know, for lack of a better word, more holistic view of out-of-hospital care. Um, and, and I think this is, uh, this is pretty awesome in that regard. Kelly, I don't think there's a worse word than holistic. Or a, <laughs> actually, I don't, I don't think there's a better word than holistic. Well, it, yeah. Right? Yeah, it, it, it looks at... at, at don't enc- don't encourage broad, him. Catherine, don't <laughs> encourage him. A very a broad view of, of patient and community health rather than sickness. Uh, and that's what we've been focusing on for far too long. You know, community paramedicine has, has started to turn that around where we're starting to look at health. Um, and prevention. But, but and for, prevention. And prevention, yeah. yeah, yeah. But... Uh, but you know, all too, all too often, our, for for far too long, our, our healthcare system has focused on sickness, uh, and it hadn't gotten us anywhere. For me, I'm really excited because y'all even asked me to talk about this article because obviously it was posted on Police One, which is not an EMS website, but it's one of the verticals within Praetorian, which is public safety. And I'm excited to see that relationship continue to grow where we start to realize that maybe the the constructs that apply to police one also apply to EMS one, also apply, apply to fire rescue one, right. et cetera. So thank you for having me. One of the things I think is going to happen is we're going to get someone from corrections one on so we could talk about how to make a grilled cheese sandwich on the radiator. So I think we're going to do that <laughs> in our next show, Catherine. So it really kind of works together. <laughs> I can't. I can show you how to do that, and I'm not even a I'm not even a corrections officer. Ah, uh, yeah, not a problem. Yeah, but, but you were an inmate, is why. That's the redneck. Yeah. yeah. Um, but hey, while we're we're breaking down these silos between police one and EMS one, just like uh, the Camden Coalition is breaking down silos between law enforcement and EMS and and uh, and emergency departments. Um, you've heard what we think. What do you think? Is there room for for such collaborations in your EMS system? We'd like to know. Email us at the show at ems1.com. And for myself, co-host Chris Ceballero, and our special guest this week, Catherine Counts. Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>